I've been around a lot of scientists in my day, and I can tell you with almost 100% accuracy, scientists are not fashion forward, or even fashion conscious. So imagine my surprise while watching this week's movie on the Scary Spirits podcast, The Thing from Another World. The main scientist, although villainous, sports what looks like a smoking jacket and some very distracting patterned pants. Well, distracting to me. Greg didn't even notice. Do you think that's a fashion thing, a science thing, or just a Greg thing? Hard to tell. But I'd like to say, wear what you want, when you want. Patterned pants and all. Cheers! Welcome to the Scary Spirits Podcast. Please be advised that the presenters may use adult language and or discuss adult situations. This podcast is not intended for younger listeners or those that may be easily offended. So, if you're ready, let's go. Hi, everyone. I'm Greg. Hello, I'm Karen. And welcome to the Scary Spirits Podcast, the podcast that combines the two very different yet highly compatible worlds of scary films and alcoholic spirits. What could possibly go wrong? Indeed. How are you, Karen? I'm feeling fabulous, Greg. How are you? I'm good, Karen. Thank you for asking. It is what we do. I need to remind everyone once again that we have changed the format a little bit. So if you haven't already, please let us know if you like the changes or not. Send us an email at info at scaryspheres.com and let us know your feelings. Sorry. Tell us your feelings. Because that's what we love, feelings, <laughs> especially Greg. Hey, before we start, though, I wanted to mention something. Go on, Karen. Well, we put out a newsletter we do. And if you haven't subscribed, you can do that <laughs> at scaryspirits.com. We do. And monthly. We've gotten some feedback. Yes, it's monthly that we tend to say some similar things over and over and over again. So in the newsletter this month, which has been out for a while, but you can still get it if you subscribe, there is a bingo card. So you can follow along and then let us know if you got bingo. Probably not too difficult, Karen. No, because someone just got a square right then. I know, right? <laughs> but yeah, sign up for the newsletter. There's lots of fun stuff in there. Lots of information. And I should thank Karen for doing that because that's her her kind of it's kind of her baby. Right? Yeah, so sign up. <laughs> <laughs> Today. And we won't send you a bunch of crap. Just we'll send you one email once a month, the beginning of the month. That's it. Yeah, it tells you what birthdays are this month of the famous horror people what episodes we're doing what drinks we're doing fun Mo facts movies that have come out you know that month in history yeah yeah you'll be a hit at all the parties if you read that you, you'll have all <laughs> kinds of useless information to win <laughs> bar bets at yes <laughs> that's what we love good useless information all right i believe this film was was it my choice, Karen? Yes, it was. Okay. The film I have chosen, Karen, is 
The Thing from Another World from 1951. Would you like to know why I chose that film, Karen? Of course. We're all waiting. Because we saw John Carpenter's The Thing, and I wanted to see the original. So this is to compare a choice. and contrast. You just wanted to watch yep, it, so you put it to. on the list. Yep. I just wanted to watch it. Well, I am in full support of that decision. I have a cocktail as well, Karen, in case you were wondering. I'm already sipping it. What is it? It is called the UFO cocktail. Clever. See what I did there, Karen? I follow. (laughs) Would you like to know how to make it, even though you've already made it, Karen? Well, everybody would like to know how to make it. That's true. So we're going to need one ounce of vodka, one ounce of dry vermouth, one third ounce orange curacao, and one third ounce Campari, as well as ice. And recipe calls for orange zest, but I just used an orange slice because uh, I will do what I want. Basically, we're going to mix all the liquor in a cocktail shaker with ice and then strain into a, I'm using an old fashioned glass, I think, That's with ice. Yeah. So remember, you keep asking, why do we shake it with ice and then we strain it into yeah. a glass with ice? Yes. Well, Greg. I have found your answer. Do tell. Shaking breaks down ice considerably, sometimes reducing the cubes to half their size. The fresh cubes in the serving glass will last much longer than the shaker ice, helping to avoid watered-down drinks. Because I wanted to know why we were straining an ice-filled drink without chunks in it. You know, I if there are chunks, I get it. You strain. My but... ice cubes do not break down like that. They are, they are not. No. They do not. So I call BS, but whatever. Wow. Okay. Maybe because maybe is... I'm not using fancy restaurant or bar ice. I'm using like the big freaking cube. Well, maybe you're just too weak to shake it properly. It's true. I am old and feeble, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. I, I try, it's not your, Karen. It's not your fault, but you know, maybe you're just not shaking the shit out of it like you're supposed to. All right. I'll try harder, Karen. And as a reminder, you can watch me make all the cocktails on our YouTube channel as well. So you can watch me shake and tell me if I'm shaking it hard enough or not. (laughs) Hey, get on it. Should we give our friends and listeners time to make their own cocktail, Karen? Their own UFO cocktail? Of course. First, I will say I found this recipe on cocktailsandshots.com, which is an awesome website title, I think. Yes. Can't go wrong with that. And in the... uh, recipe it, it mentioned something about the foo fighters which i thought was a little interesting a little trivia about the foo fighters you know that the term foo fighters you know the band the foo fighters can are you familiar i am that term was used by allied aircraft pilots in world war ii to describe various ufos or mysterious aerial phenomena seen in the skies i even knew that did you i, I had no idea what a fucking foo fighter was and there are I've already used the F word. Three of them, as a matter of fact, right there in a row. Yes. (laughs) Sorry, that's not a uh, bingo space. But it should be. Maybe we'll mix it up. (laughs) All right. Everybody go make their own UFO cocktail or any cocktail you want. We don't care. You do you, right, Karen? Yes. Hold on.
And we're back. Yes, we are. Karen, might you have a brief synopsis for us? I, I do. Go on, tell us all the story. When scientist Dr. Carrington reports a UFO near his North Pole research base, the Air Force sends in a team under Captain Patrick Hendry to investigate. What they find is a wrecked spaceship and a humanoid creature frozen in the ice. They bring their discovery back to the base, but Carrington and Hendry disagree over what to do with it. Meanwhile, the creature is accidentally thawed and begins wreaking havoc. Thank you, Karen, for that brief and accurate synopsis, I would say. I agree. All right, Karen. Tell us, what did you enjoy about this film? Anything you were pleasantly surprised by? I liked the story. I thought the set was good. There's only one. Well, one I build- liked- Well, I mean, it's one building. Pretty much one, yeah. I thought the acting was good, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of it? Yeah. Okay. What about you? What did you like? So I was curious... Because I really liked John Carpenter's The Thing when we watched it. So I, like I said, I wanted to watch this one to compare. And it, it's quite a bit different I than agree. Carpenter's. And in my research, I, well, of course, I was going to say, oh, John Carpenter, he changed it to do this. But he, you know, made it so much better. But really, all Carpenter does is he is more true to the source material. Yes. Do you want the information on the source material? It's it's based on a sh- novella, I believe, called Who Goes There, right? Yes. Go on. From, tell us all from about 1938. It. Well, I'll just because this movie is very different from the novella or novella, however you say it. This movie. Oh, this one is. But Carpenter's yes. is more like the. Yes. Okay. Which was surprising because usually that's not how it goes. But Who Goes There is the title and it's a 1938 science fiction horror novella by american author john campbell he wrote it under the pen name don a stewart its story follows a group of people trapped in a scientific outpost in antarctica infested by shape-shifting monsters able to absorb and perfectly imitate any living being including humans it was first published in the august 1938 issue of astounding science fiction magazine and then also printed as The Thing from Another World. And these are the two films that we've watched. The Thing from Another World and The Thing by John Carpenter are the two movies that they say have been directly adapted from this source material. Okay. So I thought it, and I found it interesting that this was very different than The Thing. I will say I was a little confused at some points because they referred to the military men as army. Right. When they were clearly flying USAF, like Air Force planes. So I, I kind of looked that up. So prior to 1947, it was the Army Air Force. It was one. Oh, was, that's true. Yeah, it was the Army Air Force. And then in 1947, they separated and the Air Force became its own entity. But this came out in 51. So I was a little I confused. did notice that too. The only thing that <laughs> I kind of reconciled it a little and bit. One of the characters is a corporal, and there are no corporals in the US Air Force. So they must be all army. And our hero, Captain Hendry, is 
wearing an, a cap that has an army insignia on it. I noticed okay. as well. Okay. Yeah. I was confused by that also. I mentioned it because oh. I know that military branches don't like when you confuse yeah, them. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you're well aware. Yes, I am. So that's why it stood out to me. Yeah, me too. I thought that was interesting. Also, well, maybe um, they're setting it. The book came out in 1938. That's oh, true. They had some technology that I don't know if it, but maybe they were setting it further back when yeah. that was still true. True. But um, I mean, it is set. They do mention Harry Truman as president, Karen. So that oh. pretty much tells us when it happens right there. All right. All right. Well, I don't know. Of course, I don't know off the top of my head when Truman was president. Do you, Karen? I'll no. You do. You're no, wicked. that's you're, your kind you're of wicked thing. smart like that. Not on history or geography. <laughs> and don't make me spell anything either. Okay, Truman was the 33rd president of the United States, serving from 45 to 53. So that's right in there. It could be 45, and they would have been the Army Air Force at that point. Let's just go with that. I'm going to give them a pass on that. I liked that you didn't really see the thing. You did? I did. A little bit. (laughs) You totally see it. I'm torn. Multiple times. Well, but you don't get a good glimpse of it. It walks towards them. I know, but you don't get a good glimpse of it. You don't really. It's in shadows the whole time. It almost looks like Frankenstein from Universal Frankenstein. Yes, it absolutely does. And it's played by James Arness, who is a big man. I'm assuming that's why. He played him. He ain't got no lines, Karen. And of course, we know James Arness from Gunsmoke. Do we? Marshall Matt Dillon. Yes, we do, Karen. I <laughs> <laughs> agree. This I agree. The sets were good. It's well. It's hard to look back after seeing John Carpenter's The Thing and then watching this. You know, what I mean, I might have liked it a lot more if I hadn't seen Carpenter's already. Absolutely. I agree. That's I one thing have, I was uh, going to say. I didn't like I if we had watched them in reverse order, I think we would have appreciated both of them much more. But having watched the other one first and then this one, this one pales. It does. And, and it's I'm, kind of goofy or not. It's yeah. kind of silly a little bit. I don't know. It is kind of. So I, I think that if I hadn't seen John Carpenter's first. I may have appreciated more the, um, I guess, claustrophobic, the, you know, nature of it. You know what I mean? Like you're. I guess, but I didn't really feel that in this one. I didn't either. But that's I was what I'm saying. If it, I would have seen it first, maybe I would have. It's hard to say that this, I was disappointed in this because it's, I was, I had such high expectations going in. I did too. That I thought it was going to just be this tense, just like John Carpenter's The Thing, and it just pales. I mean, there's no real tension in it. I never felt like anyone. No, there's there's more. There's more talk about ladies and dames, and there's tension. (laughs) Oh my god, that's one thing I didn't like. And it has this whole like romantic love interest thing, which is definitely not in Carpenter's thing. No, and they. And they play it there. It's just like that was a very popular trope in movies back then that 
banter between a male and a female where they act like they don't like each other. And then the, well, all the males are talking about, you know, ladies and dames. And yes, it's silly. And another thing I'll just giving bring up the captain shit about, you know, yeah, because they all know that he likes Nikki. Who who is the top in the credits? She's the top billing in the credits. The girl, Nikki, the secretary, Nikki. <laughs> Are they in alphabetical order? But one of the other things I didn't really like was this constant. I think it's in, it's in the summary where they say Carrington and Hendry disagree over what to do with it, freaking constantly. Like it's a yeah, constant. It's not an alphabetical order, Karen. I just oh. looked it up. But those two alpha males constantly butting heads. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? It was so. I just got tired of it. Every time were you upset because the military won and took control of the scientists, Karen, and bossed them around and told them what to do? (laughs) No, because it's funny. At one point in my notes, I wrote the scientist looks like a villain. He does. And he was not he even has the whole widow's peak thing, right? (laughs) It's like he had fake hair, even, but it looks like it gets grayer as it goes on. They aren't making wise choices, which I think is kind of a view of science, especially back then was getting out of control and they're going to clone thing. You know, there's always this section of society that doesn't trust science and thinks they're going to go too far. And it's interesting that the scientist. It ain't natural, Karen. It's not the way that God wanted it. It's like Spock. It's (laughs) where He's expand. He's expounding on you know how superior this being this race is because they don't have feelings. They don't have to deal with any in- hindrances that have to do with morals or feelings or anything else. And I think that's or kind of how, how people view science sometimes. <laughs> but there are rules in science. You can't do whatever you want. But I thought that was a little cut and dry the good and evil i mean the scientist had some points he just went way too far you know i get that but it would have been interesting to be able to study what you know the creature for lack of a better word or the alien yeah let's let's kill it but and not dissect the way, it karen but not the way he did it so you <laughs> Isn't know now what most scientists want to do nowadays anyway it's, well i don't know what they would do if it was alive would they kill, kill it, it and, and dissect, dissect it? it yes i don't know if they would i don't think so that's thing i think that's a big difference between films in the 50s and films now and even um i was looking in the robin wood book the from you know dr. professor craig. dr craig yes for dr craig's source material for his horror class that he teaches and he he references it uh, he compares it to alien a lot which i can see you know and he also mentions that unlike most monsters and horror films this is a completely unsympathetic monster like usually you have some sympathy there's there's some you know we feel bad for frankenstein right but do we you feel know, bad for Dracula? I guess he well sometimes they want him to he mourns not seeing the sun rise and all and he's yes, cursed and yes, all that. Yes, yes. But we get none of that from this. No, that's true. And he also in one of his essays mentions the, you know, the difference between the military in charge and the scientist in charge. And like today, I think 
Well, he says, then the military was shown as a more favorable character than they are today. Like today in most horror movies, the military is not a favorable character. The scientists are in those kind of films, right? But nobody listens to the scientists. That's why we get in trouble. <laughs> That's true, though. When the military shows up, it's never good. It's kind of like a priest in a movie. Today, like, it's never good. Yes, it's never good. But I'm sure they were back doing... then. I mean, back that's I mean this is right after World War II. So. so it's it's not propaganda, but it's sort of sorta of is, you know. You know, we loved our military then for saying saving our asses from the Nazi threat. We still love our military. <laughs> oh, I know, but well there's we just do, think, Karen, but does Hollywood? <laughs> well, I'm sure they do, know. but they need a villain. Do they? And <laughs> I don't know. I'm not in Hollywood and I haven't okay. polled everyone there, but all right. All right. Anything you didn't like, or is there more that you would like to talk about? I think about we kind of went like? over it. You know, I think it's just, I thought it was slow. I thought it was kind of silly what they came up with. It was a slow burn. They're kind of talking about it being a carrot with a brain, a plant, a plant species, plant which is okay, but it just yeah. seems silly. No, like, how I, do we, how do we kill a vegetable? And then they come up with a plan. So it's kind of I kind of like that part where they talked about it evolved from plants. Yes, that's like not we evolved but, from and like we fish. mentioned, <laughs> there's no tension. Nobody seems all that there's concerned. tension between the Carrington and the captain. That's it though. That's it. And the scientists follow the scientist and the military follows the military. I will say again, there were too many characters for me to keep straight who was who, which I didn't I even try. I find frustrating. So I, knew I just who Nikki was. I knew who the captain was. I knew who Doctor Carrington was. I know who Scotty was. <laughs> That's yeah, all. Yeah, but really there's a medical about. doctor, and then there there's, is. You know, there's. I just couldn't keep track of who was who. So and I there's just a Doctor Voorhees in there. Because well, at one, at one point they the say botanist. over the intercom, Doctor Voorhees, come blah blah blah. That character is played by Paul Fries, although it's uncredited. And when oh, I saw a... that, I'm like, Voorhees, Voorhees. Where have I heard that name before? Voorhees. Wasn't that Jason? <laughs> yes. So I thought, surely the guy who came up with the first Friday the 13th used Voorhees as a ode to this film, right? But no, he didn't. He knew some girl in elementary school, last name Voorhees, and he thought it sounded spooky. So that's why he used it. But Paul Freeze, Karen, he's a, you know who Paul Freeze is, of course, don't you? Of course, but remind me. He's he's a famous Disney voice actor. His voice is heard a whole bunch in when you go to Disneyland or Disney World and get on the Haunted Mansion ride. <laughs> Oh, okay. Paul Freeze is featured prominently. And I believe he was also the voice of Tigger, actually. Oh, your spirit animal. If you only knew how true that was, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I found that interesting. They do mention there are a lot of different doctors. There's a physicist, a botanist, a you know, biologist. There's a bunch of them. But there's definitely two camps. They definitely don't get along. But the 
it's mostly the leaders that don't get, they constantly butt heads. The rest of them seem fine with everyone else. They just do what their specific leader tells them to do. Yep. And even some of the scientists are, they're not so sure that Karen. Yeah, he's gone a little, what he's talking little cuckoo. About. Yeah, he gets a little <laughs> cuckoo. And they do at the end kind of solve that problem. Yeah, but kind of warn the military about Carrington. And he does look like a villain, like you said. All right. Anything else you didn't like? No, I th- you know. The the creature was fine. But oh, yeah, like I say, you don't really see it very but much. But there I don't know. Like I said, I just expected way too much from this film. I did too. And I think my disappointment is proportionate to that. And I feel bad about it because if mm-hmm. I hadn't gone in with that attitude, I probably would have said it was fine. And I know a lot of people really like it and think it's great. I think we ruined it <laughs> by watching the other one first. Well, it's not the thing. I'm sorry. It's not. I it doesn't wait. even seem like a a precursor because- It doesn't. And that's why the, I-, I as The always, novel I write, is closer to the other one. So I, wrote, I don't know. I wrote everyone's, you know, names. And I even made in my notes, I'm like, ooh, so-and-so is left alone with the thing. So I thought, you know, I was expecting- Them to become infected and all that. Yeah, nothing (laughs) happens. No, it doesn't. So it's a little anticlimactic, I think. It Um, it does share some dead dogs with the thing, though, doesn't it? Yes, it does. (laughs) At the time, films like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and this one, there seems to be a fear of aliens at that time. You know, so this is... Or communist, Karen. McCarthyism. Well, Okay. Yes, but they're using that metaphor a lot in these films at this time. So I think it fits the time well. I think there's was sequel potential, which I like. If someone saved one of the plants or something, you know, you could have another one. I always enjoy that, but they didn't show that. I like the ones where they show that that's going to happen, you know, or it's so obvious because we don't see them destroy everything. They just say they do. Yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I just looked it up, is from 1956. So it is after this. And I was kind of wondering, well, maybe they didn't want to, you know, redo that kind of that trope where who you think is so-and-so is really not so-and-so, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but it's it was after, so. It was, so. They yeah. didn't utilize that at all. They went completely off script and not in a good way. I don't think. I don't think so either. I don't think it's a bad story overall. You know, I think if it wasn't called the thing, I think it could have been called the vegetable or something. I don't know, but it as, as a vegetable from outer space, right? (laughs) the carrot with a brain, the horror. Um, If it was marketed as something else, I think we would have liked it just fine. Yep. It it probably would have gotten the same rating from me, but I think I wouldn't have been as frustrated Mm. with it. Speaking of rating, Karen, how many cocktails you want to give this film? Um, I think it's a three. I agree. But I was expecting a two. I was too. (laughs) I think we gave John Carpenter's The Thing a two. I'm sure we did. But on its own, it's a fine movie. It's it's well-written, I think. I think it's just, it's well done. It's just not what I expected it to be. That's all. That's the only thing that I can say 
made me disappointed in it. And watching it now, you get all that 50s dialogue and it's kind of hokey. Yes, but it's very much of the times. You get the male-female interaction of that sparring, but they really love each other. And, you know, just the like you said, the military is built up and all that. You get all that stuff and that's all fine and it's all good. And it's a good movie from that time. I just don't think it is the thing. <laughs> no, it is not. It is not the thing. All right, three cocktails. So I will say, Karen, that this has a 7.1 out of 10 rating on IMDb, 87% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and 89% of Google users enjoyed this film. Now, I know it does have a cult following and whatnot, but I do have one review from the time, Karen, if you are interested. Oh, I am. Is it from Roger Ebert? <laughs> It is not. That's Karen. another one we should put on the bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? Critics Corner. I have a review from the New York Times, Karen. Fancy. From May 3rd, 1951. And I will paraphrase. Well, it arrived yesterday at the Criterion. Must be a theater. And it certainly is something. The thing, as Howard Hawks calls his new movie, is quite a show, folks. Not since Dr. Frankenstein wrought his mechanical monster has the screen had such a good time dabbling in scientific fiction. The thing which we encounter in the thing is a vegetable phenomenon with human form which lives on animal life. That means us, the film says. And is impervious to bullets. We can tell you this much. The thing doesn't like fire or electricity. Not in lethal doses anyway. Mr. Hawks has developed a movie that is generous with thrills and chills. And comes up with just enough light bantering dialogue. The kind of desperate wit which acts as a safety valve under pressing circumstances. So that the film does not appear to take itself too seriously. Producer Hawks and his director draw a full measure of suspense out of the delayed emergence of the thing from a huge ice block encasing it. The film is full of unexpected thrills as the head scientist, a Nobel Prize winner no less, wants to protect and study the find and the army lads just want to stay alive. They have a tough job doing that because the thing is anxious to live too and has the same fondness for blood as we have for milk, Karen. In the course of things, the picture gets in a few fast, sarcastic jibes at military bureaucracy and draws a laugh at President Truman's expense. The thing is played by a group of people who won't be familiar to moviegoers, but several of them probably won't be unfamiliar for too long. Adults and children can have a lot of old-fashioned movie fun at the thing, but parents should understand their children and think twice before letting them see this film if their emotions are not properly conditioned, Karen. <laughs> New York Times. It was more of a factual review rather than a, I liked it or didn't like it, didn't you think? Yes, it is. I mean, they make you say unexpected thrills. and It's on a the more positive it is. It's a it's a it's a positive review, I would say. Generous with thrills and chills, and just enough light bantering dialogue. 
so the film doesn't appear to take itself too seriously. So I think overall, I think they liked it. But? But they hadn't seen John Carpenter's The Thing, had they, Karen? No, they had not. All right, so we're going to give it three cocktails. Are you ready to get into the film, Karen? Yes. Scene by scene. Did you watch this on Amazon Prime, Karen? I did not. I watched it on 2B TV. 2B TV. It was free with only one, like, 30-second ad in it. Okay. I did watch it on Amazon Prime, so I paid for it. Well, we'll see if it's any different. Think from another world from 1951. There were really no warnings or a rating that... I didn't see anything, but I don't know how this normally But there was an R down in the corner with a circle... But so I thought rated R, but that could have been a registered trademark, an RKO picture. <laughs> so mm. <laughs> that's probably what it was. So I don't think it was rated R. I don't think there were ratings in 1951 like that. Were there? I don't know. I didn't go to the movies in 1951. Okay, Karen. <laughs> sure, you didn't. <laughs> we believe you. You're mean tonight. <laughs> All right. So the motion picture rating system started in 68. So they had G, M, R, and X. In 70, they had G, G, P, R, and X. So I think there's probably a G, P, don't you think? By the guess. Yeah, I would at say At the so. time. But we do see it's an RKO radio picture. Oh, mine said from Winchester Pictures. Well, it's an RKO radio picture. Then it's a Winchester Pictures Corporation. And we all recognize the RKO from Rocky Horror Picture Story, of course, Karen. Yes. And then the title burns through the credits. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Which I like, which is very similar to the thing. Carpenter did the same thing. That's the part that we see in the original Halloween, too, when they're watching it on TV. And we see it's in the credits, it's based on the story who goes there. And we have credits. And apparently we're in an officer's club in Anchorage, Alaska, Karen. Officers are in there smoking and playing poker, but nobody's drinking. Karen, <laughs> did you notice that? Oh, I didn't. But now that you say <laughs> nope. it, I did. There's no alcohol use in this film at all. And who we learn is Scotty enters, and apparently he is a reporter. He's a newspaper man, Karen. Well, when I saw him walk in, I thought, he is not dressed for that weather. No, he's not throughout the whole movie. He's wearing that same stupid coat. It's like a camel coat and a, what do you call those hats? Two? No, they were everyday (laughs) 1950s hats. Okay. Yes, it was. A fedora? Fedora. That's what I couldn't think of that word. (laughs) So I thought, oh my God, are they all going to be in these outfits? This is going to be ridiculous. But no, he's a newspaper man. He's come there to get a story. So get a story. He's not properly prepared. And right here, I wrote, they keep talking about girls and dames, Karen. (laughs) Yep. There's talk a lot about dames and girls. And then they discuss a group of scientists at the North Pole and they say there's a convention up at the North Pole. I thought, what a terrible place to have a convention. And then they get a message from Dr. Carrington at the North Pole, and he wants a team to come to investigate an airplane which crashed near them. They send Captain Hendry up there and his men. And of course, they do a say pack of dogs as well. 
They talk about the aircraft. They say it's not one of ours. It's not Canadian, but it could be Russian. They're everywhere. <laughs> They're everywhere. Which is interesting because at the time we were allies. It's right after World War II, right? But whatever. You don't trust them, Russians. <laughs> <laughs> In their communist ways. Yeah, so Captain Henry takes his men and a team of dogs, I guess I should say, not a pack, a team of sled dogs. Were they huskies, Karen? They look like huskies to me. They looked like Malamutes to me. They were okay. bigger than huskies. And they take Scotty with them so he can maybe get a story. And on their way to the North Pole, they discuss Commander Perry, Karen, which we talked about in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, didn't we? We did. They say he only stayed for a little while and left, and he has all kinds of medals, and they have to go up there all the time. Don't they make another comments about girls and <laughs> they do but they also say something about the pilot because he must have crashed something and he said it was necessary so they make him out to be a little bit of a cowboy you know he's captain henry yes on the way there they learn that hey something is messing with the navigation systems their magnetic north or whatnot so they somehow they get a bearing on the guy's voice over the freaking radio I don't know. I guess that's possible. I don't know. He leaves the radio open. So like yeah, so they can hone in on the signal. Hone in on it. Yeah, it's, I, don't I don't really know, but. Sure, I'll buy it. They arrive at the North Pole, and the captain goes to see Dr. Carrington. And I wrote, apparently he knows the doctor's secretary, Karen. It does. It does seem that way. Apparently they have a thing, and we learn that she can handle her liquor, even though she, we never see them drinking. But they talk about being in San Francisco or some shit, and apparently she drank him under the table, and he was talking all kinds of stupid shit. Kind of what I do, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> and she left him a note that a bunch of people saw before he did. And I, I don't know if it was disparaging or not, but there's a lot of banter going on. Because before he can see Dr. Carrington, he has to see his secretary. Apparently, we learn that a huge object impacted the Earth. They hypothesize that it... Well, could it be a meteor, especially because of all the magnetic issues they're having? But it did not travel like a meteor. We They look at pictures of it's. It seems to move deliberately. Well, it went up and <laughs> yeah. they said a meteor would never go up. But before we go any further, we're, we go into Dr. Carrington's lab and you probably didn't notice it, but I did. Oh, don't be too to sure. To make Karen. sure that we know that Dr. Carrington is a proper scientist. Did you see what was on his wall? It was oh. the periodic table, Greg. Oh, yeah, yeah. The huge, it was a freaking huge yes, periodic table. Yes, it was. Anytime you want to make someone be a it. scientist in a movie, you put up the periodic table. It like took up the whole wall, Karen. It did. <laughs> how could you so, miss it? How many elements? Well, let's say the periodic oh table is a way of listing the elements. <laughs> elements are listed in the table by the structure of their atoms. This includes how many protons they have, as well as how many electrons they have in their outer shell. From left to right and top to bottom, the elements are listed in order of their atomic number, which is the number of protons in each atom. How many elements would you think are in the periodic table? So the first number that popped in my mind is 56. It's 118. <laughs> it's called periodic because the elements are lined up in cycles or periods from left to right. Elements are lined up in rows based on their atomic number, which so, we said. Is so why is there at the top 
row. There's only like one at one end and one at the other. Why is it like that, Dr. Karen? Each horizontal row in the table is a period. There are seven or eight total periods. The first period is short and only has seven two elements, hydrogen and helium. The sixth period has 32 elements. In each period, the leftmost element has one electron in its outer shell, and the rightmost element has a full shell. I don't know, Greg. I'm not okay. a chemist. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Karen. I'll tell you who invented cleared it. cleared it up for me. <laughs> <laughs> who invented it? And it was Russian chemist Dmitry Mendeleev in 1869. Russian. I'll give you one that would be a good trivia question. There's only one letter not in the periodic table. Mm. Want to guess what it is? I wouldn't have guessed this letter. I'm going to say O. No, it can't be O. Never mind. Um no, that's I'm a big say one. P, P. No, it's J. J. Okay. <laughs> but it's the only one not in there. And francium is the rarest element on Earth. There are probably no more than a few ounces of it on Earth at any given time. Is it worth anything? It probably is, but I don't know. So anyway, we establish if you are a sign. Actually, I have a periodic table up in my basement. So I have a. I uh... I have a periodic table of the home haunter hanging in my garage. <laughs> there you go. It's very impressive. And it was designed by Scott Stoll. So we have different periodic tables. <laughs> so boys and girls, if you like Halloween, look up Stoloween. S-T-O-L-L-O-W-E-E-N. <laughs> He's quite the paper mache expert. Awesome. Moving on. The doctor hypothesizes that the only thing that could have caused the magnetic fluctuation that they're experiencing is 200,000 tons of steel, Karen. 200 or 20,000? Oh, I'm sorry. 20,000 tons <laughs> of steel, Karen. 20,000 tons. So the military men decide to go out and fly out to the crash site. And as they're flying, the Geiger counter starts going off. Which is bad. Which is another crazy. <laughs> this thing, if a Geiger counter is going crazy, there's a shit they ton. They use it a lot. I know of radiation, and yeah. they don't even do anything. Nope, no suits, to, no nothing. <laughs> I mean, when we worked with, they do mention isotopes and things, and we did work with those things. You had to, you were behind plexiglass lead, with wearing lead suits. No, you had plexiglass, which we had very weak. Plexiglass. radioactive stuff well, but that'll stop it <laughs> but it had like if you got it on your shoes you had to put your shoes away you would lose those shoes for months <laughs> until they decayed to a point where you could wear them again <laughs> the laissez-faire attitude toward radiation in this it just kept getting to me well it's 51 i know it, but it was after I, they dropped the hydrogen bomb on hiroshima knowing though. what i know we had <laughs> to wear little badges that you had to turn in every month and it would tell you if you've had too much radio activity around you or not i did dump some on my shoes i lost a good pair of running shoes for a while and as they're flying the compass goes crazy i wrote but eventually they land Investigate the crash site with their okay. No wait, sled dogs. back up, back up. Uh, so they land and they're flying around. And they said, you know, do you see anywhere we could land? And the guy said, looks like not a bad place. You know, back half a, a mile. Bit. Said half a mile. Yeah, back. So I was curious. So it's a half a mile away. And how much area do you need to land a plane? 
right? You're not going to be a half a mile away at that point because a plane has to land. And this isn't really going to apply to that. That was a and big I was, plane. It was. And I was thinking as it was landing, I wonder if that those it's a sled. It lands on sleds. It doesn't have wheels. It has sleds. It lands on ice. I'm thinking that probably needs a longer place to land. I would imagine. I'm sure there's does. not as much friction with those sleds as there are with wheels. I mean, you can cut the engine, but you're, you're still tall yeah, on ass. Still going, right. <laughs> right. Which so. is not, this isn't appropriate to that. Cause when they land in water like that, there's resistance. There is water will slow you down. Right. right? And because there, there is some resistance to ice, but not, not a lot. Karen. <laughs> I guess. If there, yeah. So a runway of at least 6,000 feet in length is usually adequate for aircraft weights below approximately 200,000 pounds. Larger aircraft, including wide bodies, will usually require at least 8,000 feet. This is at sea level. I mean, that's over a mile. 5,280 feet is a mile. So you're talking, they are, and you're right. I mean, that thing is slide because <laughs> it's heavy. Yeah, you know there are no reverse thrusters, Karen, to break. Right, <laughs> they're not even so, brakes. You're sliding. So you're talking. They're at least probably two miles away from the actual site at that point. But they land. Yes, they do, and they hike over. They Man. do have a dog sled carrying some supplies and things. They investigate the crash site with a team of sled dogs. I wrote. And we see a tail fin sticking, what I assume it's a tail fin sticking out of the ice. And they can kind of see the ship through the ice. Yeah, they sounds like it. They determine that it is almost a perfect circle, Karen. Yeah, they say spread out, find the edges, and then they all the men find the edges and put their arms out. And when they do, they form a perfect circle. And then they start looking at, well, I think the captain's looking at the metal. I'm not sure why he's looking at the metal. He's a freaking captain, but there's nothing he's ever come, he doesn't know of. And they take some filings for analysis. It's like, bring some tools. He's got just like a file, just like a regular, like, yep. Might as well have your nail file out there, Karen, and it can filings. Scotty wants to send a story, but the captain stops him. This Air is, Force info, yeah, classified. Mili- yeah, military, he's. Nope. I will let you know. Not until the general says he can do it. Has he to has be cleared. To has to be cleared by Washington or whatever. But they use thermite to uncover the craft. Yeah, they're going to use thermite bombs. Which, you want to know about thermite bombs? Well, I know a lot about thermite. You Go probably on. know more than me. I just got a short little bit. So it's, it's hot. There's that shit's hot. <laughs> incendiary bombs. There are two types. Phosphorus bombs. They're less dangerous because they burn at about 250 degrees Fahrenheit. But thermite bombs burn incredibly hot up to about 4,500 degrees Fahrenheit. And that can melt metal or rock. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it can. So if they knew it could melt metal, <laughs> why didn't they? I guess they didn't have phosphorus bombs, but it seems well, they, a little. At one point, they say that's the that's the. It's what they use. It's the norm. That's standard operating procedure for oh, that's true. shit they out do of ice. Say standard operating Because they do procedure. it a lot. They do. There's a large explosion. It's big. Apparently the engine of the craft blew well, up. Well, there's one explosion, right? And they're Thermite. all like, okay, all clear. 
and then oh shit everybody down and they basically blow up the ship <laughs> and then there's they this do. big oops yeah they believe the aircraft is destroyed at least the technology of what the engine was so they can't they wanted to study how it got there and everything and they basically blew up the engine so they can't use alien technology to build stealth bombers karen no they cannot <laughs> okay but they get the geiger counter out and they're disappointed that they can't find any more radioactivity i guess that's an assumption that it was powered by radioactive energy but they do find a man and ice using the Geiger counter. That's how they find them, the body mm-hmm. in the ice. They use it as radioactive. Wait, there's got to be. What's the, who's saying that song? Radioactive. Gene Simmons. No, there's Gene an, Simmons the solo firm. album. It's the, it's the firm. Well, it was Gene Simmons' Kiss solo album first, and then the firm with Paul Rogers and Jimmy Page. Radioactive. Gene Simmons' song was She's Radioactive. It was called Radioactive, but. Of course, right. Gene Simmons song was She's Radioactive. 1978, I believe, Karen. And then The Firm in the 80s. Paul Rogers from Bad Company and Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin Boys and Girls. <laughs> Your proper history lesson for there you today. Go. But they use axes to cut the block of ice holding the alien. They say it looks like a man with legs and a head. And, and they that- think that someone got out of the saucer and was frozen fast before... He- he could get out of the way or get clear of it. And then they fly the block of ice back to Alaska. They put it on a plane. Well, for okay, so no, I guess they fly it back to they don't go to Alaska. No, they go back to the North Pole. Yeah. So they fly it back to the North Pole. Yeah. So they're looking at it and they're saying that the saucer was so hot that when it hit the earth, it melted all the ice around it. But it's so cold in the North Pole that it froze immediately. So it's not that the person got out and the coldness affected him. He just got stuck in the ice because it was all melted. He was trying to escape the melted ice and then it froze immediately and froze him in there. And the source material takes place in Antarctica, right? Which is the South Pole, correct? Um, That's what you said. (laughs) You said Antarctica. Yes. Okay. That is what I said. I just want to be sure. So Carpenter, once again, this is at the South Pole and we're at the North Pole. So they get back to the North Pole and the captain tells doctors they will not get the body out or examine it until he gets his orders. From Yeah, they're showing him as a as a by the rules military guy. But the scientist wants to immediately chip it out and examine it. Yes. And the military guy's like, nope. Nope. Good day. They need permission. They try to send a message to Army headquarters, but there is too much interference. Can't get through. But we do learn that apparently there's been a leak somewhere, Karen. And so Congress wants more information. (laughs) And the newspapers want more information. I was kind of curious. Who do you think the leak is? I don't know. I was wondering, too. But this is where I wrote one of them damn scientists. (laughs) Why does the doctor seem like a villain? He just looks evil. Sergeant tells Captain Hendry that he is worried about Lieutenant McPherson guarding the body and the block of ice. He's starting to freak out. And I made a note of that that because I think I thought he was going to be the first one infected. But no, that doesn't happen here, does it? (laughs) He says 
whoever's who is it that's watching him mcpherson, McPherson. is having kittens <laughs> I yes. that was kind of funny some lingo so then we see nikki and the captain and they share a smoke karen and marlboro she's like what's really going on Although, she look, wants they, to know. The, the pack of cigarettes look like a lucky strike i was gonna say they didn't look filtered to me so they look <laughs> like lucky strikes and nikki wants to know what's going on and then I have he, the captains all tied up. She tied the captain up and is feeding him drinks. Yes, so there is because alcohol use. <laughs> there is a little alcohol use. So she says, I'll buy you a drink. And then he wants to start over. She, They're she like, flirting. Like a the, no, the reason she ties dominatrix or something, Karen. <laughs> no, you wish. And what's no. up with her bras? Is that how they made bras in the 1950s? They were like pointy like that? Yes. The reason she ties him up is because last time they were together, he drank so much and he became an octopus. Oh, he's a little handy. He was all handsy with her. <laughs> so that's why she, the only reason she would have a drink with him now is if he she got to tie him up and they joke, haha. And then when we see him, he, his hands are tied behind his back and she's feeding him a drink. Yes. It's a joke, but they're kissy facing. Yeah, Nikki kisses him. Captain frees himself from the ropes. Of course. And she doesn't know until he asks her to light a smoke for him. And he he lights it and then puts it out immediately. And I'm like, whatever. Wasteful, Greg. Wasteful. It's wasteful. Wasteful. So then we see Corporal Barnes relieving Lieutenant McPherson watching the block of ice. And, and again, earlier. I'm, again, I'm making note of their names because I think it's going to mean something, but it doesn't. <laughs> We should note, somebody says, is McPherson okay? And they say, yeah, I got him set up in there with an electric blanket. He's fine. But he's starting to freak out because the ice is clearing a little bit, they say. And you can now see the face. And it it looks like it's looking Looking at at you and watching you. Yes. So the next guy who comes in. Barnes. Is freaked out by that. So he finds the blanket, puts it over it. So he. It won't be looking at him anymore. Do you think he knows it's an electric blanket, Karen? <laughs> well, you would think he'd hear the dripping behind him. <laughs> but no, he does not hear that. Now you could have someone, oh, we, they have a Walkman in, you know, or earbuds in or whatever. But then he's just sitting there reading a book and they show it dripping like a mm-hmm. clogged gutter. And he does not hear it. Yeah, he probably wrote, he puts the blanket over the block of ice so he doesn't have to look at the alien. And then we are shown like the wires leading to like some control box. So we guess know it's an electric blanket. And then the ice begins to melt. And then the dogs out in the snow, they're not too happy, Karen. Not that they're out in the snow, but what's going on inside. Yeah, for (laughs) some reason they can sense it. And then we see a shadow coming up behind Barnes. I thought that was a neat shot. That's all right. Well, but back then, it's very John Carpenter to, to do something. I know that's this isn't him, but to do a lot with a little. I mean, you knew immediately that something very big and tall was behind him. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool. So Barnes pulls his Colt 1911 firearm, Karen, shoots at the monster <laughs> or the thing. It does no good. It doesn't. I wrote Barnes hysterical. Until he gets water thrown in his face and then he's perfectly fine. He tells the rest of the men that the thing is alive. It was coming at him and he shot at it with his Colt 1911 standard military issue firearm. 
Then we see the captain and the man, they go to investigate and find the ice melted and the body missing. And apparently the thing is outside fighting with the dogs. Yeah, the door blows open. So they know it went out the door. The dogs are going crazy and they look out and they see it and they think it'll be torn apart, but it's killing the dogs. It runs away and the men go out. They find a couple of the dogs are dead, but they were able to take his arm with him. (laughs) Yeah, they got an arm. So they got an arm. Then we see the scientist examining the arm and apparently it has sharp claws at the edge of its fingers, much like thorns on a rose, Karen. Yes, they say thorn fingered. And they may say a couple of times, it's amazingly strong. I I guess they're just, I don't know how they know that, but whatever. I think because they say it was starting to walk away and three dogs were hanging off of him. And there's no blood in the arm, Karen. And there's no ar- and no animal tissue, no arterial structure or nerve endings. It is porous like a vegetable. <laughs> yeah, I thought, oh, it's like a sponge. <laughs> so That's obviously, the- there's no muscle mass either. So I don't know how that they know it's strong, but whatever. Well, there's think of a tree doesn't have muscle mass. That's why bullets don't harm it because it's vegetable matter. I can make a cabbage disappear with a handgun, Karen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, but whatever. Well, yeah, but that's, but one <laughs> hole in it is not necessarily going to kill it. Well, it uh, depends on your firearm, Karen. <laughs> well, with the Colt, whatever standard issue, mil- <laughs> 45 issue. caliber 1911. I mean, it's big. It's the size of a Frankenstein. It is. It's not going to bleed out. At one point out. they say it's eight feet long. they hypothesize it's eight feet long but it's not gonna bleed out because there's no blood right so they compare it to a carrot and here's where we see the doctor talking about you know it was a vegetable evolution from vegetable unlike unlike us karen yeah we came from he mentions worms and fish evolved into humans on our planet maybe on their planet maybe the vegetables evolved (laughs) And this is where he says its brain is not handicapped by emotional or sexual feelings. And then the botanist tells us all about the century plant and the telegram vine. Yeah, I looked those up. I don't think that that's true. Those plants exist, but the way he described them is not factual, I don't think. Okay. I mean, the telegraph vine does, you can see it move. They call it the dancing plant. But it doesn't communicate with other vines hundreds of miles away. <laughs> and then I couldn't find the other. What's the other one called? Century plant. The century plant is a cactus. And I couldn't find anything that said it was carnivorous. Yeah. So I, I don't know. They use a lot of the right words in here. I don't know why they couldn't have found better examples. The science isn't great but a lot of the words are appropriate you know yeah and one of them says that's one for ripley i made a note so i'm assuming they're talking about ripley believe it or not i would guess yes then they find a seed pod in the hand and dr carrington seems very excited i wrote yes (laughs) his villainous face is happy then the arm starts moving 20 degree temperature rise yeah, I hypothesize it lives on blood. 
Yeah, which is weird because there's no blood in it. But it needs blood. It eats blood. So it absorbed the blood from the dog that was covered, mm-hmm. that had covered it. And now it's all ready to go. Then the captain wants to go looking for the thing. Dr. Carrington warns him that it is a stranger in a strange land, Karen. Just, yes, like, and- the, just like the Iron Maiden song, Stranger in a Strange Land. <laughs> Going for a coverall. <laughs> Only crimes were committed against it. It woke in a block of ice, was attacked by dogs and shot. So it scientist is trying to say it doesn't know what's happening. And the captain tells the radio man to lock himself in and that his gun will do no good if the thing enters. Carrington wants to be able to communicate with it. He says that. And Scotty wants to take a picture before they chop it up and make a salad out of it. Then they've been in searching the greenhouse for the thing. And only the botanist has the key. I wrote that because, I, again, I thought that might be important. I agree. I said that, too. <laughs> but it's not. No, it's not. Because this isn't John Carpenter's the thing. <laughs> it's kind of cool they have gardens in there, though. Yeah, it is. But, you know, they the scientists kind of like... They, They're shifty in there. Yeah, they are. They're shifty. And they kind of like rush the military out and they all stay in. With, yeah, and the military... If I was military, leaves. I'd be like... Oh, no. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> Why are they staying in there? There's no questioning of that at all. There isn't. But the scientists all stay in the greenhouse, and they discover that there has been a blast of cold weather into the greenhouse, and someone has entered and locked the door. So there's a container in there. That nobody bothered to open. No, but they open it and find a dead sled dog drained of its blood. Yes, I was not happy about that. And the scientists all agree not to tell the military about what they have found. Because of science! They think that the creature heard them coming, stashed the dog, and ran out the door. Yes. Military men arrived from their search and they found nothing. I'm out looking for the thing. And there's one other thing I want to mention here that has absolutely nothing to do with anything. But I could not get past Carrington's pants. Did you notice them? No, Karen, I wasn't looking at his pants. Well, everybody had like <laughs> khakis on and he, I don't know if they were pajama pants. They weren't militant. They were like patterned pants. Carrington, the scientist. Yes. He, he, okay. I kept thinking they looked, he almost looked like he was in pajamas. He had like a smoking jacket on <laughs> and these patterned pants. It was driving me crazy. What is up with his pants? I see it's in my notes about four times. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get over his pants. Well, we did styling, I guess. We did, not, we did not talk about fashion in this film, Karen. You should have mentioned that earlier and what you liked. And no, it's just I don't know if it <laughs> was the fashion or not, because everybody else looks pretty normal, but his pants were just out of this world. <laughs> so then one of the scientists arrives in the room and he has been attacked by the thing. And he tells the military men that it's in the greenhouse and two of the doctors were hung by the beams and their throats were cut. Yeah, so they're upside down. So I thought that was pretty vivid imagery. But we didn't see it. We didn't see it, but I think describing it, especially when you compare it with coming, like a pig. coming in the next in the next couple scenes, it's when you think about it, it is horrific. Wouldn't have been better if we saw it. True. So the captain and the men open the door of the greenhouse. 
the thing attacks them and they shut the door on his arm. They barricade the door. So the thing's in there. It's star- It's a startle scare. And I'll say it got me. I jumped. Captain Hendry confronts Dr. Carrington and he confines the doctor to his quarters. Is that what he does? They fight again. Same thing. I'm in charge. I'm in charge. But then the military always wins. Because they come at him with a gun and say, as you were, doctor. They do block both entrances. To the greenhouse. Yes. I don't know why there was an outdoor entrance to the greenhouse, but. Don't know. Emergency exit, probably. Then we see Dr. Carrington telling the other scientists about the two casualties. He tells them the thing is reliant on them only for nourishment. Only science can conquer him, Karen. All other weapons will be powerless against it. Yes, the creature is more intelligent and powerful than we are. Apparently, Carrington is suffering from sleep deprivation. He does say he has the same attitude towards us as we have towards a field of cabbages. And the cabbages don't fight back. Yes, Doctor, he's sleep deprived. Dr. Carrington tells them that he found or he planted the seed. That they well, found what he does. Thing. So it's a it's an interesting way to move the story along is he has. I have Miss Nicholson, Nikki, Nikki, read his notes. So she informs everyone, including us, what he's discovered. What he's done. He planted the seeds from the arm in the earth that is saturated with plasma from the blood bank. He figured that out from the condition of the dog in the greenhouse, and it indicated that blood was a primal factor in the cultivation of the seeds. So he started at 2 a.m. The first sprouts appeared through the soil in only five hours. Every two hours, he's giving it more plasma. In only two hours, the sprouts began to take a definite form. And the scientists apparently don't believe him, so he goes to show them, and we see plants with pods pulsating, Karen. I thought that was pretty cool, too. You know they're balloons, but it, it look he's got a little nursery back there, and he's growing aliens. Yeah, and the, one, of the, the professor, one of the professors listens to the pods with a stethoscope, Karen. Yes, and he describes it as the sound of a wail of a newborn child. He's pretty affected by it. He's a little anxious after he does it. Scientists hypothesize that maybe the thing came to Earth to plant the seeds and populate. And take over. Yeah. Make thousands of them. An army. Using the human race as food. Or anything else, really. Just anything that has everything got blood. Yeah, they could use the dogs. But they say human race. That's the scary part. But there's a lot of things on Earth they could use. Captain Henry comes to see Nikki, and he wants to know what happened to all the plasma he delivered there earlier. Yeah, I don't know why he looked for that, but he did. Because I think the one doctor needs blood, and they're giving him a transfusion instead of plasma. Oh, that's right. They're giving him a live transfusion instead of plasma, and he wants to know why. And then Nikki agrees to let the captain see the notes from Dr. Carrington. And then they, Henry and... Carrington have yet another confrontation. Captain wants the plants burned. Burn them. Well, he (sighs) does say something interesting. So in the lab, what Carrington has set up is two bottles. They're glass bottles of plasma, like back in the day. And they've got lines out of them, and they're going into the feeding the plants underneath. 
And Captain Hendry says, you know, this is what your colleagues are doing in the greenhouse right now. And he points to the plasma bottles. So the men are hanging upside down in the greenhouse and bleeding out onto the plants. And that's exactly the same setup. I thought that was moving, I guess, in some way and horrific when you think about how it was set up and it is exactly the same, only it's people, not bottles of plasma. But we don't see it for, for me, for me, it was not as horrific, but now that you say it and I can imagine it, I can see what you're saying, but. Well, he's saying this is exactly what your buddies, your friends, you know, that you have been up here in this area with for God knows how long they are hanging there doing this. I just thought that's pretty intense for me. I thought it was really poignant. There wasn't a lot in this movie that was really frightful or horrific. And I thought when I thought about that, that was intense to me. Then they get messages from the general telling the captain to keep the thing alive until he arrives. But he can't arrive soon because of weather. So (laughs) weather is why he can't get there. But the military men try to figure out a way to kill the thing. And they think that maybe they could burn it. Well, and Carrington's like, well, wait, wait, you have to follow orders. You're not allowed to burn it. Stop acting like a bunch of scared (laughs) schoolboys. He calls them schoolboys, frightened schoolboys. Then the Geiger counter starts going off. Apparently the thing is getting closer. They come up with a plan to cover it with kerosene and shoot it with a flare gun if it comes in. Because they're all sitting around saying, well, how do we kill a vegetable? And Nikki's the one, because she's a woman, says, bake it, put it in a stew. Boil it. Fry it, boil it. She knows what to do with the vegetable. And then they're like, oh, aha, we'll burn it. The thing enters and they torch it. It jumps out inefficiently. the window. <laughs> it jumps out the window and runs away, setting the whole room ablaze. And the men put the fire out. And then they come up with a plan to use electricity to torch it instead of kerosene. Then they discover that it's getting very cold, very rapidly at the base. The heat has been turned off, Karen. Yes. So the thing has gone outside, and I think they turned off the oil, so there's no oil going to the heaters. Yeah, the thing did. Yes. So then they think that the thing will next try to cut the electricity. So they send men to the generator room to protect it. They send everyone there. I think I think there's a little heat generated in there, too. Captain sends everyone to the generator room and they try to construct an electrical trap for the thing using metal fencing. I wrote one of the men. I don't know who it is because I don't know the names. But he comes up with all the ideas and he's, it's not the captain coming up with the ideas. Mm-hmm. It's maybe the corporal or something. I don't know. It's one of the Yeah, Barnes. I think it's Barnes. But he comes up with multiple ideas. He's the idea guy. He's putting it all together. That's like me. I'm the idea guy here. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> he's making it happen. Then the general sends another message. Not to destroy the thing, doctor tells the captain to listen to his superiors. And the captain orders the doctor removed. (laughs) He says, another message from DC, now use every means necessary to protect the creature. Well, protect the lives in your party, but protect the prisoner. 
And the scientist says, you can't ignore orders. And then Hen- Carrington says that you can't, he says that a lot. You can't ignore orders, but you know, Hendry, he's a cowboy. And he says, you can testify to that effect at my court martial. <laughs> so he's basically going to do whatever he wants. He's going rogue, day. going rogue. So then the Geiger counter starts going off again. And right here I wrote, apparently their rubber soled boots will protect them from the electrical shock trap. The so they've enters. set up this elaborate electrical shock trap, like you said, and it has to get to a certain point on the walkway. There's almost like board walk uh-huh. walkways. So the way they've set it up, if he doesn't get, he has to get to an exact spot on the walkway, they throw a switch and he'll Their be blade switch. Yes. <laughs> and he'll be electrocuted. The thing okay. enters, it comes at them. And the lights go out. Apparently, Carrington turned off the generator, motherfucker. <laughs> I thought that was that was good. He's like, mm. I would shoot him at this point. And in real life, that's exactly what would happen to him. He was a he was he was a casualty. They would have at least <laughs> tied him up. No, they'd have put a bullet in his brain. But then Carrington pulls a gun on him. He tells them to get away. He will not let them destroy the thing. And he he's dead, definitely, now. <laughs> yeah, he wants to communicate with it. He tries to talk to it. Yeah, he goes up to it and says, I want to help you. I'm your friend. Whatever. They You're wiser Carrington. than anything on Earth. Use your intelligence and know that I'm a scientist and I'm just here to help you. And then... Men overtake Carrington, turn the generator back on. Carrington confronts the thing. And then the thing just like slaps him to the side. It says, it says Carrington just gets busted by the creature. <laughs> he gone. Then the thing comes toward them. Well, he's and, not gone. Don't say that. Well, he's not. We don't see him again. No, but they talk about <laughs> him. Then the thing comes towards them. Captain throws his blade switch. And the thing is electrocuted. And they all watch as it goes up in smoke. Yeah, they don't want anything left, so they go for a long time. Yep. Captain Henry tells Scotty he can take his picture now, and just then he passes out. <laughs> They're sure. Comic relief. Yep. Then the military burns all Carrington's notes and the arm. There'd be no record, Karen, just like Mission Impossible. They, they say Dr. Carrington is only slightly injured with a broken collarbone and a headache. Oh, is that what they say? Mm-hmm. I didn't. Make a note of that because apparently I didn't care. So then the men start trying to talk to Captain and the settling down with Nikki, Karen. <laughs> she seems into it. Yeah. As long as she can tie him up. <laughs> Giving him alcohol. But they make radio contact with Alaska. Scotty reports his story to the reporters in Alaska. And he gives them a warning, Karen. Watch the skies everywhere. Keep looking. Keep watching the sky. The end. Credits. And I wrote, Nikki gets top billing. So she must have been the biggest star. She was pretty. Margaret Sheridan. She played that role well. The tough girl, you know, that can be, I mean, she is working in the North Pole, so you gotta give her some credit for being This was her first film. And this, she gets top billing? Nah, I think there was something going on there, Karen. (laughs) She didn't do a lot of movies after it, but this was her first freaking film. She died at age 55 of lung cancer. Probably all those 
filter the cigarettes they were smoking, yep. Karen. All those lucky strikes. All right. What'd you think of our UF, my UFO cocktail, Karen? I thought I was going to hate that drink, but it's not bad. But it's not bad. Is it the best Campari drink you've ever it's had? It's the best Campari drink so far. I think it's either the orange curacao or something counteracts the bitterness and it's not so bitter. Not so bitter. I still taste it every drink. I still taste it. I still do too, but it it's not as strong to me no, as No, it's not. It's just a flavor. It's not a Either it's bitterness. the vermouth or the I don't know, but it's Will I say I liked it? No. <laughs> I will say I didn't hate it. I will not make it again, but I'm going to try to make every drink from now on have Campari in it just so I can get rid of that bottle, Karen. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate because I'll be wasting good vodka and things. <laughs> All right, it wasn't bad. Anything we learned today, Karen? Oh, boy. Incendiary bombs. Is that how you say it? Or incendiary bombs? Oh, no. Incendiary yeah. is what I would say, but I've been wrong before, Karen. <laughs> Runway distance for landing planes. Yeah. Periodic table facts. Who goes there? Source material. That might be it. A couple heavy metal references in there. You told us why we shake cocktails. Yes. Oh, that's true. No, why we pour into a glass after shaking it at ice. Why we pour it into a glass with ice. With ice. Yeah. Yes. It was like a lot of wasted energy to me, but whatever. I, I did. We did learn about a little bit about the Army Air Force and the Air Force. and When Truman was president. Truman. Yeah. President Truman. All right. I believe the next film was your choice then, Karen. Is it? Is it not? It is. And what film have you chosen for us? I have chosen the 2004 movie, Shaun of the Dead. Any reason you chose that film, Karen? Well, that podcast will come out on the 27th. It will. And Shaun of the Dead debuted on the 24th. It did. Have you seen it before? No. I have. It's funny. I was listening to a podcast. I think I have. I, my son and, probably has it on disc. So. And they were talking to the star of it. And I just thought, oh, I've never seen that. And so I went, I'm like, I'll put it on my list of ones that I would like to see. Because he was an interesting guest on the podcast for no other reason. He didn't talk about the movie particularly, but they were talking about how much they liked that movie and how clever it was and all that. So I thought, oh, I'll write it down. And then when I went to fill in our account, we have a calendar that we put our movies into. So what you're saying is you were listening to another podcast, Karen. You were I was. Well, sometimes I drive like long cheating. distances, Greg, and I run out of our podcasts. <laughs> well, it was this or an Elvira movie because her birthday is this that week also, I think. So you're lucky I picked this one. Am I? I've watched the Elvira movie. Well, I've seen one and I think they're funny, but most other people do not. <laughs> I think they're funny. I enjoy them. Listen, I don't think it's her birthday. Um, Elvira came out that week. Oh, okay. Elvira, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark came out on oh, the thirtieth. Yeah. Okay, sorry, but I I would watch that one, but I've never. Oh, seen she did this. have a birth. She did have a birthday on the seventeenth, though. So either one you would have been a double you whammy. Had, you had a double. You could have had a duel mm. next Jewelry. year. Okay. Do you have a cocktail? I do. And what would that be? 
It's called the zombie cocktail. I see what you did there, Karen. (laughs) It's a big leap. What do we need to make the zombie cocktail? Two ounces of white rum, one and mm. 1.75 ounces of dark rum, one ounce of triple sec, two ounces of orange juice, one ounce of lime juice, one ounce of simple syrup, and a quarter ounce of grenadine. I love it already. Supposedly, it's called the zombie cocktail because when you drink it, it turns you into a zombie. Well, we will find out, Karen. Seems pretty strong, so we'll see. What, three ounces of alcohol, more or less? Almost four. Okay. I look forward to enjoying a zombie. Yeah, see, I pick <laughs> drinks that you'll like, unlike you, who pick drinks that you know I'm not going to like. Because I have a whole bottle of this stuff I need to get I, rid I of. I have it, a whole Karen. bottle of a lot of stuff, Greg. <laughs> Do you? Yes. It doesn't evaporate. not like at your house there's something weird at your house that makes things go (laughs) evaporate extra fast all right anyone you need to thank this week well as always greg i want to thank our listener there's an awful lot of podcasts out there thank you for spending time with us who do you need to thank greg i need to thank terrence jones who commented on our sleepy hollow episode and Ooh, was it a positive comment? It was. He said how much he enjoyed the film. And I, you know, commented back saying, yeah, we had forgotten how good it was. We hadn't seen it since we were little babies. Youngins. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I need to thank the band, First 13, for providing all the music and the Scary Spirits podcast. The music definitely makes the podcast better. Anything else, Karen? Please drink responsibly. Yes. Thanks so much for listening. Want to keep in touch? Check out our website, scaryspirits.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Scary Spirits Podcast. Find us on YouTube at Scary Spirits Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at info at scaryspirits.com. To help us grow the podcast, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You know, we really do appreciate your support. And as always, please drink responsibly. Thank you.